Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, and that means it is time for The Art of the CEO, the show for people who enjoy the challenge of business and who want to do it a little better. I'm your host, Bart Jackson, the Hieronymus Bosch of business, and whether you are a Christmastide entrepreneur trying to put the giving back into the season like Jeannie and Colleen or perhaps a globe-trotting purchasing agent considering whether to join his fellows in an employee buyout of the company like Graham, we're here to bring you the sage counsel of business masters to help you, your career, and your business. Today's episode is entitled, So You Think You Should Be on the Board. Hmm. <laughs> yes, today we're going to examine how the modern board of directors directors actually functions, and if it's the kind of job that uh, your skills and your idea of fun might uh, suit. And we're also going to take, in the latter part of the show, we'll look at that precarious eggshell relationship between the board of directors and the long-suffering and long-self-pitying CEO. (laughs) Can they really work together? And it is truly our good fortune to have helping us with this discussion our featured guest, Mr. Thomas Bakewell. He is a nationally revered consultant to both boards and CEOs, and his latest book, which he co-authored with James Dorosdy, is entitled Claiming Your Place at the Boardroom Table, and it has just rolled out this week. Uh, and has taken the top-selling honors in its category at Amazon, bumping aside Warren Buffett's latest into a low second. At uh, any rate, Tom is an attorney. He is a CPA. He has sat on, I believe it's now 57,000 boards, or some number close to that. Uh, Uh At least his schedule must feel that way. (laughs) And... uh, and it's, uh, he is an active writer and participant in the National Association of Corporate Directors. But before we show you how a company really should be governed, allow me to take a few moments and supply you out there with a few utensils for our Feast of Wisdom. First, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you individuals hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. That's the most important position you'll ever hold in your career. And I ask, will this be the day that you feel that brisk autumnal shiver of mortality and opt to launch that back burner idea into a real new venture? Or will you just let action collapse into reverie? The choice is truly yours. Secondly, it is time to dip into a little laughter. So let's take a scriptural recitation from 101 Best Business Quips. Let me pull this one out here. Okay. Oh, here's one. Here's one. This is number 49. Boards of directors are just like any other business team, except that their suits are much better tailored, and they have a lot more money to play with. (laughs) As an afterthought, just let me remind you that big money does tend to petrify. Like big risks everywhere, it tends to make the team about as flexible as pig iron, forcing them always along the safest course. So beware, inflexibility is the surest path to extinction, as they say. The third utensil, and perhaps we should call today's utensil uh, utensil, the scooping spoon, we're going to give you the answers to last week's business quotation. Today, before we leave the air, we'll broadcast another quotation, and we invite you to email us 
the name of the author, as you believe him or her to be, and simply write down that name and mail it to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And if you're right, we will announce your name in the air and send you a prize. The author... um, uh, I'm sorry, the author of last week's quote, that was the individual who said, what really flatters a man is that you think him worth flattering. That was none other than the vitriolic penning playwright George Bernard Shaw. So now, let us dig into today's piece and call upon the expertise of that advisor to the advisors, boardroom guru, Mr. Tom Bakewell. Tom, how are you doing today? We are. I am doing delightful, Bart. It's great to be here. I love the, your utensils and what I would call some pearls of wisdom. But things are good here in St. <laughs> Louis, and it's good to talk. Oh, great! And I'm so glad that you can make it in from from St. Louis. Uh, Tom, I, I just want to give you my congratulations on your very thorough and very excellent book, taking its deserved place at the top of the sales charts. I have read it, and it truly does live up to its subtitle, which is The Essential Handbook for Excellence in Governance and Effective Directorship. So I now, Tom, I just want to make sure, uh, because I, on a personal note, I have been cultivating my skills, my personal skills for a boardroom slot. I've taken up smoking long, expensive cigars, and both father and I went to the right Ivy League school, and I've practiced putting my fingertips together and nodding knowingly in sage and wise masterly inactivity. What do you think? Do you think I've got a shot at being on the board? Well, that's an uh, interesting uh, opinion. You're putting me on the spot, but uh, let's say <laughs> this. Uh, one of the key aspects of being a great director today is the ability to listen very well and to say very little. So if uh, that's what you're offering up there, I think you got a shot. <laughs> oh my goodness! Actually, I think that would have uh, that's a skill that we could all take up uh, just a wee bit more. Now, the official board of directors rumor mill has it that when uh, a boardroom gets totally stuck in a tar pit and is moving about as swiftly as justice through Congress, that they call Tom Bakewell to get things moving again. Tom, could you? Uh, how do you manage? Just tell us, you, you've come into a boardroom. How do you manage to shepherd them uh, so effectively? Well, of course, the first opportunity is to get invited, and uh, thanks to lots of years yeah. of experience, uh, I've had that opportunity to be invited. And it uh, started from uh, a lot of uh, board roles at a very young age through the good fortune mm-hmm. of uh, a fast uh, start in my career as a general oh. counsel and a CFO. And uh-huh. um, uh, because of that, I got to sit, like many people early in my career, on a lot of not-for-profit boards, a college board, a public TV station uh-huh. board, a hospital board. And the uh, uh, giftedness that I seemed to have was an ability to uh, be plain-spoken, ability to see around corners every now and again, and ability to cut to the chase when it needed to happen, uh, but also, uh, as we talked about, uh, be a good listener. So. So I, I usually get uh, reached out to by somebody who has either um, uh, had a reference from another CEO, a referral, uh, the, uh-huh. the, the golden coin uh, of the realm, right. the gold of the realm, uh, uh, a referral from another CEO. Oh, yeah. um, I guess. Uh-huh. And then occasionally, occasionally, um, um, there's a uh, one of the things that uh, shows up a lot in my work is organizations that are struggling. 
uh, either financially or organizationally, or there's uh, some uh, squabble going on. It's all about relationships oh, in the boardroom, yeah. frankly. And uh-huh, so every uh-huh. now and again, um, a good board member will say to uh, a CEO or, or another board member, we really need an impartial third party here to help out. Uh, and then the last way that I tend to get calls is through my relationships. So, for example, uh, I get a lot of my business in the not-for-profit world where I do a good bit of work uh, from yeah. bankers uh, or um, financiers who uh, are donors who uh, see uh, there's maybe a bond covenant getting tripped or there's cash flow issues or there's challenges. So that's how I get invited into the boardroom. I say, Well, you know, you said something, and, and I just want to – uh, set this out for our listeners now. You said that at a very young age, you got onto uh, non nonprofit boards and organizational boards, which uh, seems to me to be a, a fairly uh, less, shall we say, less competitive first step. Would you call that good training for someone who who says I I want to go for that board boardroom slot? Uh, would, would you is that what you what you would recommend? What you would see is the vast majority of uh, people who do uh, have uh, a a wide portfolio of board experience, almost all of them started with an association board or a not-for-profit board or a charity board. Uh Now, there's always exceptions. I have a dear friend who I highlight in the book who just retired as CEO of one of the major public accounting firms, one of the big four, as they call it. Uh, sure. He didn't need the early experience. Uh, all he had to do was let it be known that he was uh, retiring and his phone was ringing. And he's, uh, you know, <laughs> a few months later on several bo- big boards now. So, but I that think that's, experience that's good is advice. But I, I warn my listeners out there: for those of you who have read Willie Loman's death of uh, Willie Loman and the death of a salesman, it is uh, to to look at this fellow who has. Uh, made his career and has his phone ringing all the time that's not the norm and he has done he has paid his dues and done his earning uh very very early in the game so uh, tom could, i was just wondering if you could give us sort of uh first of all could you define corporate governance a board is is supposed to uh supply corporate governance what is that? And could you give us sort of a thumbnail sketch of of how the board goes about doing that today? I can indeed, and um, I'm a big believer in simple terms. So if somebody said, "What is strategy?" I would say it is simply the management of change. When it comes to corporate oh, nice. governance, I like to I like to use a handful of definitions. Uh, I have a very mm-hmm. dear friend who's a top director, and she says governance is simply a conversation so back to the relationships in the boardroom okay. i like uh-huh. to say gov- i like to say governance or corporate governance is experiential and reality based and what i mean by that is uh, uh what's needed in the boardroom at the moment in time is based upon what's going on in the boardroom and your years of experience dealing with those kinds of issues uh the definitions can go on and on but i think those are two very good ones Okay. Well, that's, now you uh in uh in our conversations in your book you have mentioned that boards the have changed that the purpose, the job, the atmosphere has uh taken a mighty swing in these uh past two decades. Where did where did it swing from and what has it swung to? It has changed dramatically, especially in the in the last decade. Uh 15 or 20 years ago, you had 
what was called the Imperial CE, frankly, in most boardrooms. Uh, and it, I, I would say the first uh, radical change was when a former uh, sitting CEO of GM, the first time around, a fellow named Stemple, right. was uh, removed by a board. And that was an unheard mm-hmm. of thing, but uh, a monumental yeah, thing boy, and, and a change. Uh, the board yeah. uh, took action. And um, uh, a couple of the major changes, of course, everybody knows about Sarbanes-Oxley, and that oh, provoked truly, some truly. substantial changes. Here's the two or three things that came out of Sarbanes-Oxley. Uh, uh-huh. For one of the major requirements, now we're talking public company versus private or not-for-profit, sure, but sure. It, it, it rolls down the hill. It starts at the public and, and applies to all levels almost universally. But one of the major changes was independent directors. Uh, the, the stock yes, exchanges right. as a result of Sarbanes-Oxley now require that public companies have on key committees like comp, like nominating and governance, that they and audit, they have solely independent directors. So the independent directors right, today right. really uh, have a lot of say. Uh, and a related the QFA issue, is in with that, right? The, the, uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's a whole other conversation. Could you explain that role for just a minute? Uh, could you just explain that role to, to the folks? Uh, of being an independent the, the director? Qualified yeah, right. Yeah, to, well, to be an independent director uh, means there's a very precise definitions under the various stock exchanges. But in the old days, again, you had someone like a you know, distinguished person like Henry Kissinger who right. was a board member and got a board fee, but he also got a million dollars a year to be a consultant. And suddenly you have to say, where does his loyalty really lie? Is it to the CEO that's yeah, writing yeah. the check for the million dollars? Uh, or is it, you know, and I'm not questioning you know, this great man's integrity at all, but uh, the, no, the no, stock but exchanges have said that's not okay anymore. Uh, you right, can't get right. money on the side for being a consultant. The only pay you can get is what comes from your stock awards or your cash awards from the director. They made very clear lines of, of reporting relationships for the directors. Well, actually, you know, I did know, and, and another thing that has come with Sarbanes-Oxley, and, and is alludes to what you were just speaking, is that the corporate, what we think of as the unpierceable corporate veil has, is now lying very much in legal tatters. And I think that a lot of the uh, would-be corporate people, uh, corporate directors, are are hesitating because they they fear liability problems. I knew one in, who literally refused to put his signature on any uh, on anything that went through because his lawyer had told him not to 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 sign it because he would be liable for everything. And he just they finally had to get rid of him. I mean, uh, that's yeah. that's one extreme. But but what is what are some? Could you talk a little bit? Address the the liability issues at today's board. Members. Sure. Real. Well, of course, uh, when somebody asks me about being a director, and in general conversation, there's always three questions that pop up. One is, how do you get on the board? The very second mm-hmm. question is always, what about the liability issue? And of course, <laughs> the third question is, what about best practices? Here's the reality yeah. of liability. The reality of liability is something you have to educate yourself on. You have to be aware of it. Uh, There's three key rules that you have to be aware of, your duty of loyalty, your duty of care, and what's called the business judgment rule. Uh, The duty of loyalty and the duty of care, I like to use a casual expression that don't be sloppy, don't be sleazy. 
and uh, the business judgment rule is the greatest thing that was ever invented. It's a real a rule that says if a board member diligently does their job, the right. courts will not come along and substitute their judgment for uh, the board of directors' decisions. For his and judgment, so what, I got you. Yeah. Or her? Yeah. And even if the board makes a horrendously long string of bad decisions, you know, ten times in a row, there will not be mm-hmm. liability found if they've worked diligently and done their job. So uh, we right. have a full chapter just on those liability issues in the book. I, uh, it's mm-hmm. not as complicated or as difficult as it thinks. And uh, there's a lot of nervous Nellies who will uh, not take board positions. And there are indeed times to be aware. Uh, you, you could go back to the history of Ford Motor Company during their big, most recent bad bump before they've had their great rally. There were some right, serving right. prominent directors who stepped off that board because they were afraid of the liability. Oh, jeez. It, it's, well, my feeling to that, though, I've got to be, be quite honest with you. I think if risk assessment is your first idea when you hear of a new venture, or if your own personal liability is what first comes to mind, then, son, you're too old. I don't care what your age. You're too old for the thrill of business. Get out. <laughs> I'm, it, it, I'm is, afraid it is I'm a matter of biased. risk. It, it is yeah, a matter of risk. Is. And let, let me make two points on that, if I may. One point okay. would be that your greatest risk on any board is not the legal liability, it's your reputation. It's reputational risk. Oh, and so just good. ask the people on the Enron board. You know, Your greatest mm-hmm, risk mm-hmm. is reputational. Uh, the other point that I would really like to focus on for board members to think about and CEOs to think about, and it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, intriguing question. What is the difference between a not-for-profit board and a for-profit board, and you could throw in the yes. middle a private okay. company board. What's the most fundamental difference? It's it's really simple if you think about it in this context. Not-for-profits, think of a guardian or a trustee, et cetera. Their primary role is to protect and preserve historically, whereas a right. for-profit right. board's primary role is to grow and develop. And the word that you use is the distinction between those two, risk. Not-for-profits right, often right. get in the habit of not taking risk. For-profits are designed to take risk. So that's the key right. difference between those boards. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why we want diversity, which we will get into boardroom diversity, and in that, in, in all aspects, which I'll be talking about, uh, which we will be talking about when we come back. Um, right about now, I, um, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to about the midpoint of our feast, and I'd like to make us, uh, have us, if we could, take a brief sorbet. It's time to introduce that company by whose good graces we're here today, and that firm is Prometheus Publishing, the creator of, among uh, other divisions, Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guides, and you may visit them at bartsbooks.com, B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. Explore a wide wealth of uh, very practical wisdom and applicable business tools from uh, various masters in commerce and industry. Prometheus uh, would like to to, uh, to tell all the folks listening, uh, hearing today about two of its books. Number one is called The Joy of Work by Dr. Stephen G. Payne, in which some... Uh, that finally someone with proven business knowledge and success as a CEO and board member brings spirituality into the workplace, shows us what it's for, and shows us how to use it as our best personal and corporate asset. 
Secondly, for those who would like to grab a few of the uh, best business tools, give their own careers a jump start, allow us to recommend So That's How They Do It, Tactics from Business Masters. This is the volume that tells how the best got that way and stay that way. So if you'd like to browse through those books or the others in the bookstore, you may visit that at bartsbooks.com and see the books and find a way to uh, get some quips into your life. Ladies and gentlemen, and for those who are uh, designing glitch-laden computer programs with their earbuds in so that they may catch these dripping pearls of wisdom, we are back with our guest uh, and author to and counsel to directors, Mr. Tom Bakewell. Tom, I've heard it said that every board requires at least one curmudgeon. Now, I was wondering if you could outline for us exactly the vital part, uh, the vital role that the board curmudgeon plays in making a company prosper. Well, you're uh, being quite a wordsmith there with the word curmudgeon, and there's two sides of that word. One is the the harsh side about uh, somebody who can be surly and uh, a little difficult to deal with. But the the other good side of being a curmudgeon is somebody who's direct, plain-spoken, and to the point. It's somebody who will say, like I was called on to say in my uh, second uh, board as a youngster, uh, when I was on a college board and we haven't hadn't balanced the budget for seven years in a row at my first board <laughs> meeting, what's you know what 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 don't you understand about negative cash flow? You know this is <laughs> this is not okay. Uh, it's somebody who can say uh, you know I've learned uh, finally in my my age uh, not to ever look at a baby and say what I really think. Uh, you know other than uh, it's a baby, that's all I ever say. But in the business context, is someone who can say this this baby's really ugly if it needs to be said. That's what I mean by a curmudgeon. Somebody right look, right. Uh, boardrooms historically have been polite society, and here's one of the secrets to having great boards. Uh, they have a mm-hmm. good fight every every now and then again, but they mm-hmm. they get along. Uh, they find a way to get along. You know, they might you know uh, go toe to toe in the boardroom, but they they know how to have a uh, you know a fight uh, in the right way and to say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. I think that's true. I remember reading that uh, in one of the latest uh, NACD. Um, Surveys, and you mentioned this in your book, not quite in exactly these words, but that uh, of the top seven qualities they were looking for, uh, that, that nominating committees were looking for in board, uh, new boards of directors, they ranked fiscal knowledge, financial acuity, uh, seventh, but civility was ranked number three. Uh, is that is that about right? Your idea? That's, your uh, that's spot on. You have to be able to get along with a group of people, and it's very much a, a group process. Look, in the final analysis, it's not about the rules and regulations, although in this mm-hmm. day and age those must be attended to. Uh, the great sure. boards are those that can build you know, – a boardroom is a social system. And no, the great no. boards are the ones that know that the social system trumps the rules. And that's the magic, and, right. and you've seen you've seen legendary battles uh, played out in public and in the headlines where boardrooms aren't getting along. I, I, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to take note of that. This is what I would call a quill pen moment. I want you to take your pens, dip them in your inkwell, and jot that down. That getting along, and that trumps the rules, and that's what makes the, all the decisions is you are a team working together, and that is 
probably the greatest skill you're going to that it will be required of you as a board member. And uh, I, I, th- I thank you for saying that. That's good. You you know you have one fascinating aspect in your book, a, a section called uh, that's that's very popular now, but people don't think about it. And it's activist shareholders, and they come from all kinds from. Uh, from environmental to financial to, and um, I was wondering if you could give us uh, an example of uh, a good of of some of the of an activist shareholder that you've seen and how a board handled it well. How well it's uh, it is uh, one of the hottest of topics and it's the reality of uh, what's going on. You almost can't open the paper today without uh, seeing an example of a. Uh, um, activist uh, shareholders. Um, we've seen, uh, dare I mention a case or two, we've seen Dell go from being a public company to being a private company. That yeah, was an yeah. example. That's an example where the activist shareholders actually lost out on the battle and they were not happy campers. Of course, they would tell you uh-huh. uh, uh, to salve their wounds that they got the price up a little bit, and in fact, they did. Uh, but they uh, that stock uh, ended up uh, going private about thirteen to fourteen dollars a share. The activists very clearly thought it was worth twenty to thirty dollars a share. My response to the activists would have been, "Well, gee, uh, Carl Icahn and other uh, great members of that community, if you really thought it was worth sure. twenty-five or thirty share, you would have bought it." But no, no comment there. Um, another <laughs> one, uh, the most notable one that really goes to the essence and heart of good governance was a company called Chase, Chesapeake Energy. Uh, again, you had a legendary executive who founded, uh, basically didn't found the uh, fracking industry, but took it and ran with it and made it into this phenomenal company that was having a terrific growth. Their investors, uh, their, their primary owners, their largest owners for a decade supported their growth. But the company, kind of back to the curmudgeon, the company got uh, never, ever made money. Uh, the company was having enormous growth. Uh, it was uh, you know, like one of these companies that grows topsy-turvy, but there was problems with earnings and returns, et cetera. And oh, ultimately, yeah, yeah, yeah. ultimately, shareholders, uh, the shareholders uh, who had been the best friend and highly supportive of that very good CEO, Said, yeah, look, yeah. it's time to do it a different way. It's time to start, you know, uh, preserving capital. It's time to quit spending uh, right, like right. crazy, and it's time for yeah, uh, yeah. etc. Within uh, once within the, the the time that the CEO changed, uh, the uh, outside activists changed their mind and said, look, you're going to start doing it a different way. Profits are really important, right. among other things. Within 18 months, of that really within about nine months. The CEO had uh, moved on for other opportunities, uh, uh-huh. and 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 created a competitive company. Uh, the um, <laughs> uh, the earnings uh, went up substantially. The almost the entire board, uh, all very good before and all very good after, changed. Uh, suddenly, they had a new lead director who came from a major oil company. Radical, dramatic change. If there's a case study to look at, it's Chesapeake. And again, I say nothing but you know, find things about all these people, but a strategy yeah. changed. You know, the investors oh. uh, said, we're going to do it differently, and that's what you're seeing today is uh, oh, the last thing I'd say on activist shareholders, the last thing I would say is that uh, in this new day and age, um, everybody's paying attention to activist shareholders. A decade ago, that's, uh, that's the, true. CEO, that's right. the CEO of, of 
uh, Apple would not sit down with an outside active shareholder, whereas today they really might do that. They, they, they feel they have to. Tom, uh, we're running uh, toward the end, much as I hate to say it. There's so many more questions I have for you. But I was wondering if you could just tell the folks, again, the title of uh, your and Jim's book and how they might obtain a copy. Uh, claiming your place at the boardroom table is the top line uh, easily. Uh, lots of book publishers just uh, pop in Thomas Bakewell, claiming your place at the boardroom table. Of course, you hit the subtitle about effective governance and building a great board, uh, but that would be it. Thomas Bakewell, spelled just like it sounds, and um, uh, it's uh, easily and readily available. Okay, I thank you very much, and we are going to have to have you back on again because we just didn't cover nearly what we wanted to. So I thank you very much for coming today. My um, pleasure, and it's hard to put 10 pounds in a 5-pound bag <laughs> okay. on an important topic. Ladies and gentlemen, as we round out today's show, I'm going to give you the final business quotation, and it is, success isn't about how much money you make, it's about the difference you make in other people's lives. And a hint as to the author of that is she is one of the most uh, influential difference makers of the age. So if you know that, if you know the author of that, send it to Bart's, uh, info at bartsbooks.com. And finally, as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, a competitor is a fool who has yet to see the wisdom of partnering with you. Of, of course, partnering at a junior level. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you. Good day. Good day.